Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month on motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, we've got a listener question on to rent or to buy, keeping your bag safe while you're carrying it around, uh, safe from would-be thieves, that is, and a very personal look into what our group can improve on their travel methods. All this and more coming up. But before we get going on that, I want to give a shout-out to some people that helped the show incredibly this past month with support of $50 or more. And this can happen to you, too, if you want to drop by our support page at Adventure rideradio.com forward slash support and have a look at what we've got going on there. Anyway, here we go. Christian Campman, Pradeep Kundur, Charles Embricia Riddell. I hope I got that right, Charles. Floyd Crawford, uh, Robert Dennis, Bill and Susan Dragu. And in case you don't know, Bill and Susan are, are from DART. That's the training program, rider training program. They're at the Overland Expo, um, the one that just passed. And I think most of them. And Graham McIntyre, thank you all very much. Support of $50 or more gets your name on the show. And we would love your monthly support on our Patreon account. Drop our website, as I said, adventureriderradio.com, and click on the support button. Now, this episode of Raw is supported by freshtracks.co.uk, facilitating adventurous conversations. Now, here we go. ARR Raw for October 2019. <laughs> Shall we get rolling? From the Canoe West Media Rolling Studio, stationed in eastern Ontario, Canada, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my esteemed regular Overland co-host. I'm going to start with Sam. Sam, well, actually, Sam, according to the emails and messages that we've received here at Adventure Rider Radio, you must be doing like an incredible knocking it out of the park presentation because listeners have contacted us directly to let us know how impressed they were, how taken they were by your presentation. Somebody said they were about to go out on a trip, I think almost immediately after they sat through one of your presentations. Wow, fantastic. I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Sharing the fun of the road, sharing the drama, and uh, with people who can't go because they've got responsibilities, but it's those people who could, and they just need that little nudge. And one of my favorite thoughts is if anybody listens to the presentation, they walk away thinking, well, if an idiot like Sam can do this, then perhaps I could do that. I'm just thinking, fantastic, love it. Oh, that's brilliant feedback. Thank you. You, you must have the thing dialed, though, as far as, uh, I mean, I really wish I could get a video or something and, and see, but I've, I'm going to have to sit through one of your presentations, I guess. I'm going to have to find where you are and go there. Well, one of these days I must get up into Canada, mustn't I? That make an awful lot of sense. But you know, it's just so much fun. We, we all know what it's like when you're talking about something that you're passionate about and something where you've got stories to share, then you're passionate. And people love to be around people who are sharing and passionate, aren't they? And it's, it's what it's all about. So I'm blown away by that feedback. I'm delighted. But um, at the moment, I'm in Virginia and um, we're as in uh, Birgit and I, we're just off the Blue Ridge Parkway. And it's absolutely fantastic to have Birgit here. She flew out about a week and a half ago. So she joined me at the presentation at um, Motorcycles for Charlotte. And then um, we've just been meandering and exploring and we're finally slotting into sort of the overlander mode. Um, and what I mean by that is, well, you know, we had planned to, to ride the Blue Ridge Parkway. Um, I've ridden it several times before and it's beautiful up there. 
And it's been so hot this year, though, the, the, um, the leaf change colour is happening really late. So you just begin to see a little bit of um, the oranges and the reds come through, but most of it's still green. But the views are, are still beautiful um, until the fog arrived. And we went from, I guess, about 100 yards visibility to five within about 10 minutes. Mm. And then a couple of minutes later, it was down to two. And when we when we looked um, at the weather forecast, because it had been fine in the morning, uh, when we set off, when we looked at the weather forecast, then we just thought, no, nah, now is the time to get off. We dropped down um, a road called the 80, which um, anybody who's from this part of the States will know and know what a lovely road it is, but not when it's wet and foggy. Um, those corners are really tight. We were very happy people to get down to the bottom and out of it all. Mm. But, and you um, guys are riding on one bike. We are. And um, this is the first time um, Birgit has met um, my bike. And um, she, she's really impressed. I, I put a, a Seat Concepts um, saddle on it because the, the bog standard BMW one, um, well, I think it's like sitting on a, on a fence. But um, she's really impressed with the comfort of the saddle, and which I bought. Um, and she... But I'm, I'm really surprised at how well this bike is coping two up with all of our luggage. Um, the only time that I've noticed it's been perhaps a tad under power is on a really steep hill on one of the freeways. We haven't been doing very many freeways, but um, this was a steep bit. And yeah, she was 65 and throttle wide open, but nobody else was going above 65 anyway. But all of the rest of the time, absolutely fantastic. It's, um, this bike is a delight to ride. Wow. Oh, it's a- one other thing. Yep. When I started off, it was 110 degrees Fahrenheit in um, Phoenix, and five weeks ago, that is. Um, and today it's 59 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's a nice little temperature drop. You brought your heated gear, I assume. <laughs> no, I haven't. But I've got a girl, a girl to snuggle me from behind. So. Oh. Over in Australia, we have Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks. Good morning. And, good morning. And I understand good morning. on daylight savings time. So you're, you're not yes. as early. No, we're not as early. The I can't say the sun's out because it's a bit overcast today, but it's light. Which is nice for a change. Very nice. Yes, it's 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 lovely. It's going to be a lovely uh, summer, I hope. And then we'll be able to get in the pool and and um, do some more riding as well. So, yes, it's. Uh, it's I don't been, know how uh, you find time for the pool, Brian. It seems like every time I talk to you, you're just coming back from some <laughs> huge ride, eight hundred kilometers, five thousand kilometers, some ridiculous ride. So I don't know what you're doing, what you do at home at all. <laughs> You know, that's a very good question, Jim. <laughs> no, Thanks, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll Brian, you did say yeah. before we started the, the show today, you did say you rode home just for this show, didn't you? Uh, yes, I did, Jim. I did say that I rode 850-odd kilometres yesterday, which included an hour break for a, um, a repair on a back wheel where the, the valve stem cracked and gave away and uh, – I, I uh, had a, a lovely little interlude of an hour at a, at a tyre shop in a little place called Keith in South Australia where uh, Matt, the, the tyre man, um, uh, pulled the tyre off the rim for me. We put a new valve in it and uh, he said, um, I said, how much do I owe you, Matt? He said, nothing. Put it down to experience, mate, and uh, good to see you travelling. So that, which was great. Mm. Now, Keith, now, a lot of you wouldn't know, um, Andy Caldercott was a great um, Dakar rider, uh, all going back many, many years now. 
and unfortunately he lost his life on the Dakar um, when he was riding for KTM, I think it was, and uh, came over a sand dune at about 160 k's and headbutted one, and um, that was the end of Andy. But there's actually an Andy Caldecott Park at Keith, um, and the people there still revere him from many, many years ago. The family come from down that way, and he would ride the dirt for 500 kilometres uh, on a day just to practice for riding the Dakar. He rode about five or six Dakar rallies. Um, so anyway, that that was my day yesterday, getting home to my lovely wife. Sure. Mm, who we told, I come home all this way to be with you tonight. And then I find out the real reason <laughs> was so he would be here this morning to speak to you people. So there you go. So thank you for putting me in the poo again. Oh, it's my <laughs> pleasure, really. <laughs> he doesn't need any help with that. <laughs> but the thing is, Shirley, he did take you out for dinner when he came home. And for a while there, you felt special. I mean, doesn't that account yeah. for something? No, I cooked tea no, last no, night. No, no, no. That was last week. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm sorry. Oh, you made tea. I think we but, should move on at this point. No, but on oh. a more serious note, if I could raise something um, that we often talk about, you just never know what's around the corner. Last night um, when Brian rushed home to be with me, he was uh, on the iPad and we discovered that an Australian couple who um, have been to HU and uh, – have always been planning trips. They've taken their bike to England. They've been to the Isle of Man and they were touring through Italy, uh, I think it was last week, and uh, they were on the Stelvio Pass and a truck coming the other way. It was a tractor and trailer. Coming the other way has tipped over and crushed them. Mm. Oh, no. That's horrible. Wow. And And they are now. Richard and and, um, and Lorna Hogg. I've met them several times, uh, helped ship their bike overseas. They're a wonderful couple. He's a, he's a retired firing and uh, oh, they're in a really bad way. Um, she's lost part of a leg. No, and, yes, and he's had and his, yes. He his aorta ripped and um, they're in um, in hospital. And uh, anyway, I'll, I, I don't normally do go funny stuff, but we'll talk about that later. Mm, but they're anyway. together in this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they were on the yeah. same bike, yeah. and apparently other people were also injured in the in the rollover. Um, but they are they were shipped um, airlifted out to a hospital in Austria where they are now in induced comas, and their son uh, has gone over to be with them and is giving updates. And you know, very very serious injuries. I mean, Lorna's lost a leg and um, Richard has got a, a torn aorta or something quite hideous um, and other injuries. So you just never know what's around the corner. Mm. If you, if you want to, if you, if anyone's interested, have a look at uh, motorbikewriter.com. Mark Hinchliffe is a, also a mate of ours. And he's been to a HU too, uh, Grant. Um, Mark has posted something with a photo of Richard and Lorna on it. Well, that's that's really sad news. Okay, we but, can, we can know, go ahead. But seriously, we that we take those chances, don't we? And we we, we love um, traveling and all those things. And you know, um, you, you've got to mitigate the risks, I suppose, as best you can. And it just underlines that every single day of all of our lives, whatever we're doing, we can't just coast through them with blinkers on and 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 ca- in a careless way. We've got to live those days every day. Exactly. 
Yep, we do. We do indeed. And they weren't doing anything wrong. It's just one of those terrible things that happen. Yeah, and you can get run over crossing the road in London. So, oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So they they might not have been traveling. They could have been Italians and the same thing happened to them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not just... to travel. Yeah. Life, life has so, Sorry, Sorry to, to mention that, but I thought it was important. Chance. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we can come back to that at the end when you're talking about, I, I gather there's something going on for that. So we'll, we'll sort of uh, touch on that again at the end. But, um, Grant Johnson is enjoying, the, I'm sure, the wonderful rains of the fall weather in Vancouver, Canada. Grant, good afternoon. I'm enjoying a beautiful sunny day. It's absolutely gorgeous. Wow. Is that the first one? <laughs> no, no, no. It doesn't <laughs> rain all the time here. It just rains more often than we would like, to be honest about it. <laughs> but it is, we are getting some good weather. I've been out on the bicycle and riding in the local park and doing various things among, among them. Um, my computer died this week, like just poof, that's it, gone. So all new innards, major job, days of fi- fixing it, very frustrating, but all working now. Got it going just in time for the show. That was very important. That was my goal. Very nice. So and you, you actually, you're fixing the computer still. Yeah. I always build my own. Mm. It's kind Much of unusual nowadays, isn't it? Well, yeah, it seems to be. But if you build your own, like the case that I'm using is, I don't know, 10 years old, maybe more, but it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. So it's it's like George Washington's axe. You know, you just keep replacing components and some of these things. There's a couple of things in there, like the DVD drive that's probably 15 years old, et cetera, et cetera. But hey, they work. <laughs> and I build it. And if it breaks, I know what to fix and what to do with it. How nice. <laughs> yes, it is. Actually, there's a funny story attached to that. The 1987, Susan and I were in Guatemala, I think it was. Well, maybe it was Mexico. Anyway, somewhere down there. And we had one of the very first Toshiba laptops. Two 720K floppy drives, 640K of RAM, K, not gigabytes, K of RAM, kilobytes of RAM. Um, and then one of the floppy drives quit. And Susan was all upset. And we need to uh, solve this problem. Um uh, how, what are we going to do? We're going to have to send it back. This is not good. But I said, no, no, I'm going to take it apart. And Susan freaks out. You can't take it apart. It's a laptop. You can't take it apart. And we're going to take it apart. So I'm taking it apart there in a little palapa on, on a wooden shelf made out of driftwood. Pull it apart and look inside. And pull the floppy drive apart and look inside some more. Oh, that spring's managed to pop out. Click, pop the spring back in, put it all back together. Then it works fine. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty impressed with myself, actually. And hey, Grant, are you, any, are you any good at fixing cameras? Because my SLR bombed out on me this week. I'm gutted. Oh, no, I'm not. Sorry. Don't oh, <laughs> It would any... be fun taking one apart, though. No, it would be. But does anyone even fix cameras nowadays? I mean, that that is really, that's, that's getting into watch uh, territory. Yeah, I mean, this camera is about, I don't know, five years old. So there might be somebody around who still <laughs> understands them, works them. But Birgit's comment was, yeah, you send it for servicing and it probably costs about the same as getting a brand new camera with updated technology. So, yeah, yeah, with five years old, yeah. yeah, it's completely out of date by now. Tightwad here yeah. is going to have to get his wallet out, I'm afraid. And that's worrying because the moths haven't seen the light of day for a long time. Well, just for fun, Sam, get out some screwdrivers and take it apart and mm. look inside. You might find... There's a bit of a, a grotty connection. You take a connection apart and you put it back together again, and hey, it works. Do you know, it's really funny that, that you're saying that because I wonder whether part of the problem is um, the temperature ranges that I've been going through. And when I've been staying in a motorhome, then 
um, or in somebody's home, then I've been going into an air-conditioned unit and I just wonder where the shed loads of condensation has built up in the camera and whether it's just connectors that have got a little bit grubby and so on from that. Yeah, that you make sense? Get, you get, yes, it does, absolutely. And you also get heat cycling. When something goes from hot to cold, it expands and contracts. And mm. connections can be pulled apart more easily than they're put together. So if you get too many heat, heat ex- cycles... It keeps pulling apart and then it gets loose and then it's more susceptible to corrosion and it's not very good and then it doesn't work. Take well, it apart. that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to do that. I mean, and this is, of course, interesting for people who are thinking about going traveling because people's cameras do bunk out when they're on the road. So, hey, yeah, can't get it fixed. Have a go yourself. I'm going to. I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah, throw, it, throw it in a bag with some bunch of rice in there and let it sit for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah I've, I've actually tried that um, and it hasn't made any difference. And that's why I'm wondering whether... It's either a major um, dampness inside or whether it is actually some corrosion on the connections and things like that. Mm. I'm always of the belief if you're going to throw it away anyway, hey, take it apart and look inside. If nothing else, mm. it's really cool inside. I, I agree. I, I take everything apart. <laughs> but well, but I was going to say, me, taking it apart is one thing. Putting it back together is something completely different. Yeah. Well, that's all right because Birgit's with me and she, she's a real techie, you know. She's the one that wants to take her motorcycle to bits in the, mid of the middle of the Atacama Desert and I'm not quite so sure about this. But um, – <laughs> Yeah, uh, she's she's logical. She'll yeah, she'll help. Good. Well, um, today we're going to tackle a difficult question from a listener, and then we're going to put uh, each one of you um, sort of on the spot to expose your weaknesses for educational purposes, obviously. <laughs> but so let's start off with this question from Peter Burns. Peter says he loves the show, and he thinks the, the, the he's found some tips and and uh, things that are fantastic about the show. So thank you, Peter, for the compliments about the show. Peter is from Melbourne, Australia. Perhaps, surely you know Peter. We've certainly met Peter, yes. and I go. think you should mention that he's a big fan of our books. Well, I, I was going to mention that, actually, because he says that he's um, he's been dreaming, him and his wife, I guess, been dreaming of doing the the big lap, he calls it, but for now he's content with the shorter trips um, to get around his, his work and family commitments. But he does say he has all the Rick's books, and he'll be ordering yes. Sam's and Graham's books for Christmas. Nice. Yeah. Good anyway, on you, Peter. Peter's question is that he's planning uh, to do uh, a ride uh, along Route 66, and he wants to spend three or four weeks doing it, him and his wife. Now, they're debating over either shipping their bikes over from Australia or buying a couple of bikes in the U.S. and then possibly selling them after after the trip is over or maybe even shipping them back to Australia. Now, Peter's wondering about yeah. the uh, the pros and the cons for this, as well as the sort of the opinions of everybody on on doing any of those. Now, I know there's a, a lot to consider here. So I was thinking, why don't we tackle the the shipping idea first? Because, Brian, don't you have a friend that has a shipping company now for, for bikes? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, Dave Milligan, whose shipping company is uh, Get Rooted um, Shipping or Get Routed. Um, uh, but he used to ship into L.A., but the paraphernalia that you have to go through with U.S. Customs now, he has stopped shipping into the U.S. It's just too difficult and um, uh, the uh, containers get held up for too long and uh, customers fly over to meet their bikes and all of a sudden they're there for three weeks without a bike because customs haven't got their act together. It makes it very difficult. Um, now, um, if Peter picks up Australian Road Rider issue 150 i wrote an article on byo bike versus buying over there um which talks about um 
shipping uh, or buying a bike um, overseas or taking your own or whatever. Um, but getting back to shipping, it's very complicated. And also, if you buy a bike over in anywhere in um, the world and try and bring it back into Australia, um, there are very strict conditions and Aquis, which is Australian Quarantine Inspection Service, are clamping down on people bringing bikes back into and cars back into the country to the point of people having to pull out anything that might have asbestos in it, which includes brakes, um, gaskets, engine gaskets, things like that, uh, which has been really problematic. And also um, passing, um, getting them um, inspected and approved for riding in Australia is very expensive unless you buy a motorcycle which was produced before the 1st of January 1989. Uh, you can bring that back in as an, as an historic item, which I've done, uh, and therefore you don't have to comply with Australian design rules and all the rest of it. So buying a bike overseas and shipping it back into Australia is very problematic and will probably cost you more than if you bought one here in Australia. So really, Peter, your options for a short trip are really to hire over there, which I know can be prohibitively expensive if you don't find the right people, or to buy and sell. That's the only real options you've got that I can think of, unless uh, someone else has got something else they can mention. Brian, you're saying that if you bring in a bike that's made before January 1989, you don't have to comply with the the asbestos problems? No, the asbestos would still comply, but um, that's that's a point of contention with Aquis. What it means is uh, the rules in relation to getting your motorcycle or car registered uh, are, are very different. Uh, for example, uh, your headlight lens, for example, in the US uh, reflects one side, in Australia it reflects the other side because you drive on the other side of the road. Mm. Things like that uh, and, of course, uh, anti-pollution laws and all the rest of it. Um, but prior to 1989, uh, those rules don't apply. But um, there's been a lot of um, uh, contention with Aquis over this so-called asbestos rule that uh, all of a sudden they've decided to enforce. So where that sits right now, I'm not too sure, but um, I know that there have been people held up. There's a company in Queensland that ships bikes back into Australia and cars, um, American cars, for people to, to drive here. And they've had um, a hell of a time um, uh, pulling cars apart on in America, shipping them in and then rebuilding them here. Yeah, I can give some, some general guidelines because what Brian's mentioning, he's 100%. Um, but the overall worldwide shipping guideline that, that we tend to use, first off, is don't plan on buying a bike somewhere else and bringing it home because you can run into the same kind of issues as Brian. Here in Canada, it's the same thing. Parts of the U.S., it's the same thing. Parts of Europe, it's the same thing. Um, buying a bike somewhere else and bringing it home, just just write it off. Don't just – it's not worth it. The costs and expense and aggravation – um, and you're still incurring one-way shipping, it's just not worth it. Shipping your own bike both ways, if you're going for a long trip and your bike is very customized, it's set up in such a way that it's, it really works for you, and if you've got a passenger, it really works for the pair of you. Um, if you're going for six months, yeah, ship your own bike. It's worth it. Three to four weeks, oh, that's when it gets really, really difficult. Two weeks, just rent. It's not worth the aggravation of going through the buying and selling rigmarole. 
three to four weeks, that's uh, getting expensive to rent, but buying and selling, you've still got, you've got to find a bike, you've got to buy it, you've got to go through insurance and registration wherever you are, and then at the end, you've got to sell it. So ideally, you have a dealer that you can buy a bike from that will buy it back at a reasonable discount. He's, he's going to want to make his money on it every time. Um, but if it costs you 500 even $1,000 at the end of a three or four week trip, that's a whole lot cheaper than renting. That's like two or three days rent these days. So you have a, a decision to make and it's dependent very much on budget, how much you like your own bike and how long you're going for. And say for three to four weeks, it's a really tough, tough spot. It's very difficult to make that decision. If you can organize in advance with somebody you know somewhere that can find a bike, organize it, get it sorted, um, and then you can definitely sell it afterwards, okay, that works all right. But otherwise, yeah. getting rid of it at the end of your trip can be a real hassle. Yeah, and, and, and Sam, you you actually borrowed a friend's bike, and I and I've got mates that I could borrow bikes off too, and uh, all that sort of stuff. But that can be fraught with danger too, can't it? Well, yeah, it can. I mean, people over here have been absolutely fantastic for the first few years that I was doing the tours over here. People were lending me their bikes. Um, in the states, it's the bike that's insured, um, rather than in the UK where it's the rider that's insured. Um, and that means that so long as the bike's insured, anybody can ride it technically with the owner's agreement. But of course, when you're riding somebody else's bike um, on their insurance and something happens to the bike, well, in effect, unless you want their premiums to go up, et cetera, then you've got to bite the bullet and say, well, look, if I if I dump it or there's an accident, then I've got to pay for the bike to, to get it right so their premiums aren't affected. And yeah, well, we, we've talked in previous shows about um that I got badly bitten by that. Um, and I've been riding so carefully other people's bikes, but it only takes one other person to do something stupid. And buying a bike in the USA, second-hand bike, with low mileage is actually quite a cheap thing to do, especially when there's a newer model um, of that particular bike that's come onto the market. Um, and most bikes that I've come across, and most people that I've come across in the USA work their bikes quite hard, but they take really good care of them. I mean, obviously, that's a generalization and it's the people that I'm meeting, but that's my constant impression. Um, renting bikes in the States is um, quite expensive, and a lot, of, a lot of that is down to the insurance, but it's so easy. You know, it's just done and dusted, no dicking around with paperwork and all of the rest of it. But there are four options and um, that I came up with, and Grant just touched on one of them, and that's a buyback. Um, you, you can find dealers over here who are prepared to sell you a bike on a buyback basis. Um, at the moment, as far as I know, there's only one company that will insure you um, to do that, and that's a company called Progressive. And ideally, they want to have um, you to have um, a, an address in the USA that you can use. But you know, with um, Horizons Unlimited and various motorcycle forums and things like that, arranging with somebody who's in the area that you're intending to start your trip for, for you to be able to use their address just for that purpose, um, that's relatively straightforward. The other option is um, a straight buying the bike. Um, but a lot of the states in the USA don't allow or don't make it easy for foreigners to buy a motorcycle. Um, Arizona is one of the few states where you can do that, um, where you can register a motorcycle as a foreigner um, with uh, the DMV. Um, and again, it's a case of insurance, insuring usually through Progressive. There are other companies, but you need an inside line on that. 
Um, but, you know, people planning to do that need to be aware that without a, a US driving license, they'll pay premium price um, for the full insurance. So, for example, um, if you were having, if you had a US um, driving license, motorcycle driving license, then you might pay $200. If you haven't, you could be paying $700 for six months. It can be um, as, as expensive as that. But of course, you can always go third party, which just means that anything you, you and your bike do to anybody else um, is covered, then of course, that can be a lot less. Again, you need to have that um, home address in the USA. They prefer that. Um, if you're buying a motorcycle privately in the US, uh, what um, I can't remember if it was Grant or Brian just said this um, just now, it's ideal if you can have somebody here that's going to do it for you because they can check out that the paperwork and so on is all kosher. And you need to do things like an HPI check um, on the VIN number, on the VIN number. That's the registration number of the bike. Um, and you need to be able to make sure that you've got things like a bill of sale. So if you do decide to export it, then you've got those two documents, the VIN number document, the title, um, and the bill of sale. And these can be downloaded from the various states' DMVs. And one thing to note uh, for Peter is that if he's planning to buy a bike in a state and then sell it in another state, it actually can be quite complicated for the person who's buying the bike because each state has its own rules. Because um, each state here is almost like its own individual country with its own rules and conditions. And um, if you buy a bike in one state and try and sell it in another, then it can be complicated with all the paperwork for the person. Mm. That, that's a very good point to remember. Canada is the same way. If you do it here, you can't just come into one province, register a bike, and then go sell it easily in another province because there's there's rules with that. But I just want to jump back there to um, what you were saying about um, about getting your insurance. Do, do you know that um, that people are doing this without running into, they're not having to lie and say that they're now living there or anything like that for insurance. They're saying they're a foreigner and they're looking just to get the, the bike insured for a trip? Correct. Um, I was checking with ICBC, the Insurance Corporation of British Columbia, which is the organization that does registration and insurance required as a, as a kind of a package deal. And here it is no issue for a foreigner to come in, buy a motorcycle, using a local address as a mailing address and get this so that ICBC can determine what your insurance is going to cost you because it depends on where you park the bike is how they determine their insurance. We moved from a small town in BC into the heart of Vancouver, and guess what? Our insurance went down mm. for the motorcycle and the car. Your insurance yeah, dropped? Me away. It dropped. I've, I've, it's, it's exactly the same in the UK, um, and I've got some notes on the UK as well, which I'll come to yeah. later if I may. Yeah. So um, anyway, That's exactly I went, what happens there. Yeah, I went from a locked garage to a, an underground parking which is locked, but it's still underground parking and it dropped. Yeah. So it makes no sense. Anyway. So if somebody wants to come to Canada and buy a motorcycle here in BC, it's no difficulty. There's no problems. Just, just do it. Just have a, somebody with a local address so that it can be determined where you're parking it. Theoretically, if you are going to drive it across the country, you are supposed to tell the insurance agent when you do the registration and insurance that you're going to do that so they can adjust your insurance as required. I don't that's, know whether it will go up or not, and I'm not sure I want to ask. That's crazy. Maybe there's um, more thieves in um, country Canada than Vancouver, or your vehicles are classed as shitboxes <laughs> compared to everybody else's in Vancouver. I don't know which. 
I don't know. I have no idea. It's just like I asked and they said, just, just, that's what this table say. That's what it is. Okay. So Grant, how much are you paying for your insurance? Because I, I hear that insurance for motorcycles in Canada is unearthly expensive. It is. It's unearthly expensive. And our 1200GS, mine, which is 12 years old now, and I've been driving motorcycles for 50 years, nothing on my license, I'm clean. It's $1,100 a year for the insurance, for the basic insurance for the bike. And what does that work out in US dollars, more or less? Um, eight fifty bucks. <laughs> hey, you're being generous, Jim. <laughs> uh, you said you cleaned. I, I now hang on a minute. I thought you. My sources tell me that you had a speeding ticket here in Australia. Canada doesn't know about that. <laughs> <Do not. laughs> Either of them. <laughs> oh, I've had two speeding tickets in. 40 years, and both of them are in Australia in a rented vehicle. <laughs> Australia, very tough. Brian, Brian, you do realize your name is Mud now. <laughs> any, any premium excess that Grant gets is going to come your way. <laughs> yeah. And you know the worst of it, one of those speeding tickets, I was, I think, three kilometers over the limit in a camper van. <laughs> No one can speed in a camper van. How did you manage that? I was trying hard. <laughs> Hell to the metal, mate. You get a ticket for three kilometers that, over in, in Australia? Three kilometers over. Was that in Queensland? Um, let me think. That was probably Victoria, but it might have been New South Wales. can't remember. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're very tough down there. Here you're allowed 30K over. Um well, you get a ticket at 30K. At 10K, they'll kind of let you go. At 30K, um, you're going to get slapped pretty hard. At 40K, they take your bike away on the spot. doesn't matter where you are. People have been stranded in the middle of nowhere for 40K over the limit. And they, a tow truck comes and takes it away. So if you're doing 40K over, don't stop. You've yeah. got to be careful with that here because sometimes they crush the vehicle just to teach you a lesson. Oh. <laughs> So you don't want that to happen to a hire bike. No, no, that would be expensive. But just um, talking about insurance in Canada, we um, when we were in the US, which admittedly was some time ago, our insurance covered us for Canada. The insurance we got in the US, that was progressive. Yeah. we had a um, some kind of certificate that went with our policy that covered us in Canada. Yes. Canada, USA, both countries are give reciprocal insurance. Any Canadian insurance covers you in the US. Any US insurance covers you in All Canada. Right. Neither right. of them covers you in Mexico. Right. Well, <laughs> careful there. Um, that's where people do get caught up. Um, but yes, that is, that is no big deal. So not a problem there. Um, the other thing that came to mind was uh, people want to buy a bike here and then ship it home. Yes, you can do that. But again, it's, it's once you've got it home, is it legal in your country? Bringing a motorcycle into Canada is very difficult if it's not over 30 years old. I think 30, I think pretty sure it's 30 years old. Anything less than 30 years old, don't even think it. It's just not worth it. Um, I heard one story recently that somebody wanted to bring a Jaguar in from the UK and $40,000 later, it still wasn't cleared. Yeah. Wow. So it's the same sort of issues as in Australia. It has to conform in every single possible way, and it's completely ridiculous. So don't do it. So basically, yeah. you want to buy somewhere else and sell it there. 
Right. Yeah, I, I thought it was 30 years too here in Australia, but um, the numpties who thought up the legislation didn't make to make it retrospective, so it doesn't go forward every year. So it's that 1st of January 1989 still to this day, and really our motoring bodies should be lobbying um, the federal government to have that amended because it's just ridiculous. There's a lot of collectors out here who, who love collecting old bikes like me of yeah, anyway, I won't go there. Surely he doesn't have any of No, we don't want to go there. You'll be in more trouble. <laughs> As if he's in enough trouble already. Gosh. There's lots of countries that people can buy motorcycles in. Um, I know there's a, somebody in Ireland that will buy a motorcycle for you and get it all prepped and ready to go, sort out your insurance, and off you go. And then you can bring it back and you store it there till next year when you come back. Um, there's somebody that does that in the UK. There's a couple of companies that will do green card insurance for any foreigner coming in with their Australian, Canadian, American, whatever bike and sort out the insurance for you. That's, that's all not particularly difficult. Is that somebody who's doing it just sort of as the, out of the goodness of their heart? Or is that a business they've got? No. Uh, I, it's, uh, and, and, yeah, I'm just reading, I, I wrote about him, and uh, that's uh, Martin Hurley. Martin runs a company called Moto Firm, which is M-O-T-O-F-E-R-M-E, um, in Ireland. And he's a, he was an international traveller and decided to start up this little business. And he will source a bike for people over there and uh, buy it for you. You know, you, you've sent him the money and he'll buy it and store it for you. And you can keep it there. It's a great idea. Actually, it's a good little business model for someone in the States, I would have mm-hmm. thought, mm-hmm. Um, to do something like that. Well, well, there's one other model that we have, one other business model that's out there is the bike sharing programs. I think there's two um, websites that, that we've talked about on our show that have um, this the sharing thing set up. So you can, you're, you're renting, but you're renting directly from the owner. So that's that's another yeah. option for Peter. So they can go onto one Absolutely. of these, yeah, go onto one of these websites, register with them, find a bike that you want, and rent it. And you're dealing directly with the owner. You go to the owner's house to pick it up. It's sort of a it's a, a deal that's brokered through the website through the company between you and another bike rider, a bike owner. So that's another option. Yeah. We have that on the hub too, where it's it's like completely less formal, where you can just go on there and you want to trade swap bikes with somebody. That's not a problem. Um, you two work it out and figure it out. It's called the Bike Swapper Rent Forum, and lots of people do it. Mm. Yeah, that's a good way. But the, the the only thing with I'll say with these other websites is that they sort of take up that slack between you and a stranger. So if you mm-hmm. if you're not dealing with somebody you know or you, you can't verify them somehow or you, or you just don't want to spend the time, you know that could be an option. So there there's another there's a couple of options there. Yeah, it depends on how formal you want to go for sure. Mm-hmm. I had a good look at the Rideshare um, website and you can rent, um, for example, a Kawasaki Versus 650 um, from Dallas because I just picked a location for 56 US dollars a day. And That's pretty well, reasonable. That's, that's, that's pretty darn good. Pretty <laughs> darn good. And they do all of the background checks on you when you want to rent. So the person who's renting their bike out knows that they're getting somebody who, who hasn't got a reputation for smashing bikes up and all of this sort of stuff. Um, and most of these guys lending you their bikes, they'll they'll do it with unlimited mileage. But it is something that you do need to to check. How does the insurance work when you do that? Ridershare have their own insurance set up. Ah, okay. Now, this was one thing that I picked out because they they say that you know whoever you are will will arrange insurance. But nowhere could I find specifically on their website that it said that it was going to cover um, foreigners. Mm. Uh, 
Yeah, because you, you might check it all out, wouldn't you? you might lend someone your bike through a system like that, but you're hardly going to put their name on your insurance policy as an additional rider. Well, you'd have to. You could. You could, but you'd have you to trust them that. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Well, well I mean, um, apparently this this system works in such a way that. Um, you're not riding on the owner's insurance. You have your own policy. Yeah. Right. But what right. I just couldn't find was whether they were going to be able to set that policy up for people who, you know, were from outside of the United States. And there are talks about um, this system being set up in the UK, Canada, and also in um, Germany. So if, I mean, it's a very young company. Um, and if it works, then fantastic. But going back to what Grant was saying about um, Horizons Unlimited, and it's well worth checking um, that out. I know quite a few people who've done that. And I also know people who are members of motorcycle clubs like BMW Owners Club, and they have affiliations with clubs in the United States. And that's often a great way to set up a bike exchange. So in other words, the dealers you borrow somebody's bike in the United States for X period of time in return. When they come to your country, then you lend them um, one of your bikes um, for, for them to ride for a similar amount of time. So you can make some really good friends after doing this as well. I was getting rid of, you know, all of the hoo-ha about, um, you know, renting and, and the expense and so on. Um, there are a couple of things that are worth um, having a look into if you are going to rent a bike um, privately, and that is um, make sure that you've got an international driving permit. They're only $20 um, US. Um, and if you're a member of um, the AA or AAA, then see whether um, they're affiliated with the country that you're going into, because then you can usually get free recovery and free maps and motel discounts and all of that sort of thing. Um, and, and having come off a bike on the Blue Ridge Parkway in the fog one year, um, that cost me $200 to get the bike recovered 10 miles. Um, that hurt. Um, if I'd had my AAA um, cover or, or was my mower membership um, lined up with that um, recovery, then, well, it would have cost me about $50, something stupid like that. So it's well worth checking those things out, um, particularly in the United States, because there's a lot of remote areas um, and you don't want to end up being towed for a very long way. Um, that can be expensive. Um, you, you mentioned about um, us also have a looking at our own countries. And I did a little bit of looking um, around for what would happen if somebody wanted to do the same sorts of thing in the UK. Um, so if anybody's interested, then I'll just rattle through um, the notes from that. If, if, is that a good idea? Or? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just about to say your name and say, I know you had more to talk about for the UK, but. All right. Okay. Well, my top tip for anybody planning to, to ride a motorcycle in the UK, the first thing you need to do is um, stop thinking about um, buying or renting or anything like else like that. Get yourself a copy of the Highway Code. Um, it's a small book. You can either buy the book or you can have a look at it online. But it really helps you understand what's happening on the UK roads. Um, and that just that bit of insight, because a lot of people look at the UK and they think, but it's so small and it's so busy and you're driving on the wrong side of the road and all these sorts of things. And you've got roundabouts. No, what do we do at roundabout, et cetera, et cetera. So top tip, have a look, at, um, get hold of the copy of the, the Highway Code. Does anything exist like that for the United States? I've never come across it. And I guess that's probably because every state is different. Do you have something like that in Australia? Uh, yeah, we do. But again, it's state by state, but they're basically generic. Okay. Good. Yeah, same here Thank in you. Canada. There's, there is a book like that for every every province. So it's well worth that. getting, isn't it? Because, I mean, you, then yeah. you just know where you stand. And also, if a policeman stops you for some reason because you've broken a rule, you can say, ah, sorry, I did read the book and look, here's the evidence. Um, but that was one that I haven't stuck with. And 
Um, yeah, anyway, and I've got a, a policeman friend in, in the UK and this was his top tip. And right. um, he said to me, he's given people a lot of leeway when he realises they come from overseas, but they've made the effort to try and understand what the rules and regulations are. Um, so anyway, the next top tip for the UK is if you're planning to return to the UK and ride your own bike regularly, it might well be worthwhile taking um, a UK bike test. Um, because that cuts down on a lot of the hassle and your insurance costs, and it'll cut your insurance costs significantly. As, as a farmer, um, you can do that, no problem? Yes, you can. Hmm. Yep. Um, just um, get yourself signed up to take the bike test. And of course, you want to know the highway code before you do so, because a lot of the test is um, on the highway code. Yeah. Um, for North Americans, I just want to throw in a comment here, Sam. For North mm-hmm. Americans going to the UK and taking the test, um, I forget what the percentage of people who fail the UK test is, but it's very high, whereas in North America, it's about minus 0.1%. I think it's really difficult to fail. Um, be prepared. It's going to be a lot harder than the test you've taken here in North America. Mm-hmm. And uh, one other little tidbit, as a Canadian, moving to the UK, I discovered that my Canadian driver's license, which when I was 16, I took the car test on a manual transmission. And since then, Canada has disregarded, thrown away whether you have a manual transmission license or an automatic transmission license. And all Canadians moving to the UK have to take the test in order to be able to drive a manual transmission or you're stuck with an automatic only license. Oh, that's interesting. How's that for bummer? Yeah. So, and I'll be completely honest up front here. I knew how hard the UK test was. And despite living in the UK for 11 years, I stayed on my Canadian license just because I didn't want to have to go through that aggravation mm. <laughs> or be stuck with a manual, an automatic license. So you can do that. You're not supposed to. And they, they get very stroppy if you do. But I got away with it. Sometimes it's um, what you don't say. Nobody asks about. Yes. Don't get stopped. Be a good boy. <laughs> and you're fine. And I was I was never stopped in the UK. Yeah, Vietnam's okay. similar to that. You, you know, you can sit the Vietnamese, Vietnamese licensing test, but it's in Vietnamese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or you ride with uh, uh, without any at all, which um, everyone does. Everyone does, and um, if you've got a guide with you, they know where the police checkpoints are, and they just ride around them. Theoretically, you can't hire a motorbike in Vietnam without a Vietnamese license. And I doubt if there's any tourist who's ever visited Vietnam and hired a bike that's got a Vietnamese license. Yeah. No, not that I'm aware. It was incredibly difficult to get one from when we were there. Um, yeah. Um, I think I think they're they're uh, changing that or or trying to amend it uh, now because there's so many people going over there doing it, particularly in the north. So um, yeah, interesting to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Too right. Well, let's keep fingers on the on the pulse of that one because it is a question that I get asked a lot. Um, about riding in Vietnam. Yeah, I've got friends over there now doing it, and um, I'll find out when they get back. Um, back to the UK. Um, if you're bringing your own bike to the UK for longer than six months, then you actually need to re-register it. It's the the motorcycle single vehicle vehicle approval scheme, and there's a, um, a direct.gov.uk um, website for that. Um, Jim, I'll send you the link for that for anybody that's interested. Okay. Um, and it's well worth checking out with um, your freighting company um, because they know um, what the paperwork you're going to need to have to get your bike um, sorted out in the UK. I mean, I strongly recommend Motor Freight um, and it's well worth looking them up. And they are very generous with their knowledge. 
Um, borrowing a bike in the UK um, is much harder, uh, as in bike exchanges we were talking a few minutes ago with the US. Insurance makes it a lot harder to borrow a motorcycle privately in the UK because um, it's the rider that's insured to ride a particular bike. Um, but if they don't own the bike, it's much harder. Does that make sense? Mm. Um, so whereas in the United States, it's, it's the bike that's insured and basically anybody can ride it with the motorcycle, with the owner's approval. Um, in the UK, it's not that way at all. It's the rider that's insured and they're insured to ride a particular bike fully comprehensive. They can ride friends' bikes with third-party insurance. Um, but anyway, so renting a motorcycle, there are several different companies in the UK that will do that. Um, you do need your, um, your um, home nationality driving license, and it has to be very clearly endorsed to ride motorcycles. An international driving license is a really good idea, though you may never get asked for it, but if you're renting a bike, um, it makes it very clear that you are licensed to ride a motorcycle. Um, the rental companies will usually provide the insurance company, and if you're planning to ride the bike outside of the UK, so mainland Europe, then they will provide you with something called a VE103, which is a vehicle on hire certificate. Um, and you have to have that. If you get stopped on a rental vehicle that you've rented in the UK and you're in mainland Europe and you don't have that, um, you can be in, in real trouble and um, a, a lot of significant time eaten up while it gets all sorted out. And the other thing about renting a bike is that there are companies around that are relatively close to Gatwick and Heathrow and so on, and, and they'll pick you up at the airport and drop you off at a hotel and that sort of thing. And there was one company that I looked at, I mean, like in the US, they're not cheap. But with all of that being done for you, um, maybe they're worth considering for if, if you're coming over for a month or something like that. And a price example, um, and it's fairly average sort of price from the sites that I checked out, a BMW F750GS for seven days will cost you £600. Now, that sounds like an awful lot of money, but for people in the United States, for example, where the dollar is worth so much money in comparison to the sterling at the moment, then um, it might well be worth considering just renting a bike and not dicking around with buying. Having said that, if you're buying a bike in the UK, then the first thing you need to do is to get a UK address. And as Grant said, preferably not in a big UK city, because that makes a huge difference with insurance costs. A country town or somewhere like that, link up with somebody via Horizons Unlimited who lives in a small town and is happy for you to use their address for um, an insurance base. It's also worth considering getting a smaller bike. You don't need a big bike to explore the UK or mainland Europe, something around the 500cc mark, um, 650, that sort of size. And of course, the size very much um, affects the insurance that you're going to pay, especially when you're on a foreign um, driving license. When you're buying a bike in the UK, then you need to make sure that you've got all of the correct paper, paperwork. So the registration, the V5, and current and ideally buying a bike that's on a long life MOT test certificate and all vehicles over three years old need to have an MOT. So if you buy one that's um, just got a couple of weeks left, then you're going to have another cost that you've got to shell out with. Once you've bought the bike, then you go to the UK DMV, Department of Motor Vehicles, and you register the bike. And then you buy the UK-based insurance for non-residents. And something that's a, a bit of a tip here for people, and it can work, is if you get a, um, a letter from your insurance company in your home country, um, but the head office confirming that you have no issues with your insurance, you've got no outstanding, you're not accident prone, et cetera, et cetera, then that should be supplied to your UK insurance company. And um, frequently that will um, knock you a chunk off the cost of your insurance. 
Um, if you're going to be in um, the UK for a long time or in mainland Europe for a long time, um, then it is worth considering changing your U US license to a UK driving license. And you do that via the Department um, of um, Vehicle Licensing Association. I've got one thing that left to say on, on this, and that is when you're planning to insure a motorcycle that you're buying or renting in the UK, never lie on anything with the application for the insurance. Because if something goes wrong, the insurance companies will do all they can to wriggle out of paying. Mm. So never lie on anything. Be absolutely upfront. It might cost you $50 more, but that doesn't matter. If something goes pear-shaped, you've got to know that you're covered and you're not giving the insurance company that, that That's wriggle. kind of an insurance that's, thing. I mean, that, that's sort of everywhere, yeah, that's, isn't it? That's right. It's here too. They love taking your money, but they hate paying out. Yeah, exactly. They're yeah. in the business for it. I mean, they know to, to try and look for the the, uh, the loopholes for them to get out of it. But Sam, are you saying that you think they're more particular in the UK than anywhere else? Or are you just saying it because um, you know they're particular? I, I know they're particular here. I mean, I don't see any point in relying to insurance companies anyway, because no. you're taking out the insurance in the first place to cover you if stuff goes pear-shaped. And as you know, you guys just said, it makes sense that an insurance company will, because they're a business, look to try and get out. I'm just making a point of saying it because um, when you go into another country, the temptation is to, to skate a little bit. Um, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. We, we see too many people talking about that on the hub about how, how can I do it cheaper? What can I get away with and stuff? And we're constantly telling people, no, no, no. Tell the truth because if they catch you at it, you're in deep trouble. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just and don't the last do that. thing you want to do is, is want to depend on, in particular with insurance, you want to depend on a payout and then find they yank your insurance. And then, wow, then things really get ugly. Yep. yep. And I mean, the other thing is if you lie to an insurance company once and you get caught, from that time onwards, it's going to affect your insurance history wherever mm -hmm. you are. Oh, yeah. You don't even want to think about what that would cost you for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. Um, before you move on to something else, I just wanted to throw out just a couple of tidbits. Um, one of the things that people wanted to do and one of the things that kind of came up with this uh, particular topic was, do I ship my bike? Um, do not ship your motorcycle to the U.S. I think Brian touched on that. Um, Get rooted is, is not doing it anymore. Yeah, ship to Canada. Absolutely, without mm -hmm. a question of a doubt, do not try and ship your motorcycle in or out of the U.S. Always ship in or out of Canada. Air Canada, for instance, will fly your motorcycle to Europe and back. Not a problem. There's a lot of Americans that are actually riding their bikes to Toronto or to Vancouver or to Montreal and shipping them to Europe that way. It's way cheaper, much less aggravation. You, you arrive, they fill it, you fill out a couple of forms, stamp it, bike's loaded, you get to the other end, you fill it pick up your bike and a couple of bits of paperwork and you're done. Whereas in the U S it's a nightmare. It's just not worth it. Forget it. I think that's um, a top tip Grant. I'm hearing that more and more from people. Yeah. It's, it's an absolute tip. Like just don't even think U S forget it. It's just not worth it. I've never heard of anybody having even sensible amount of aggravation in the last several years. It's and the no thing is when you ride your bike from Canada over the border into the United States, it's no problem. As long as no you've problem. got the right ownership None. paperwork and insurance and blah, blah, blah. Then yeah, it's right. just they don't even look at it. The yeah, Canada-U.S. border is yeah. probably the easiest border in the world if you're all legitimate. Normally, when you arrive at the border, they ask you for your passport, where you're going, where you're from. Um, if you're a foreigner to both countries, they want to know a little bit more. Um, the number of times I've heard of people being checked for their registration is, at this point, zero. I mean, Brian, I think, sounds like he may have had the experience, but I've never heard of it. They just don't care. It's not, doesn't uh, matter. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, but, but seriously, I think you're right on those those busy border crossings. There was one young young fellow who's crossing the border in um, going into Alaska, going into Alaska, where the the border guard must have been bored and yeah. uh, wanted to to know how come a young fellow like him could afford an expensive bike like that, and uh, went through him like a dose of salts and held him captive in the border for about three hours. <laughs> yeah, so that's 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 very rare. Yeah, very rare. It's generally not an issue. Um, basically, it's the same thing as with all border crossings. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, yes. That's fine. And just answer the questions. Don't volunteer information. Um, actually, I should. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, one uh, guy. Did you hear that, Shirley? Uh, don't, yeah. don't volunteer anything. Absolutely. A, a story that will curl your hair. An American living in Dubai for a number of years, working there, had a Harley in Dubai, and he wanted to ride it, ship it home and ride there for a while and then fly back home to Dubai. Okay. So this is all good. He gets to the U.S. border, goes to pick up his bike, and the guy says, uh, what are you doing? And he says, blah, 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 you know, the usual things. And, and uh, by the way, what if I wanted to sell my bike while I'm here in the U.S.? <laughs> no. Well, I think the listeners get the message from the laughter. Yeah, mm-hmm. don't do that. That is the dumbest thing you could possibly do. He was there for three weeks, and guess how long he was in the U.S. for? Three weeks. No bike. Shipped it right back out again. Yeah, don't volunteer. Don't ask questions. Just don't. Ask, ask an answer. That's it. Sometimes people get nervous when they're crossing borders, but, um, even um, between first world countries. Um, Birgit and I had a, um, a customs officer going from the United States into Canada, and I tell you what, this woman was so sour. Um, she had her long hair, which was pulled back so tight in a ponytail that her eyes had gone slanty and her attitude had gone slanty with it. And my goodness, was she pointy with her questions and demanding and all of the rest of it. And we just kept the simple rule of polite, keep it simple, answer yep. the straight question. When she finished with all, literally she did this. She loosened off the ponytail, gave us a big smile and welcomed us to Canada. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I think that's a really good lesson. They will ask you pointed questions. Have the answers. Make sure you know what you're talking about. And don't bullshit. Keep it straight. Yep, critical. Uh, The other thing I wanted to throw out, too, was on all of this, shipping bikes, traveling back and forth, et cetera, the hub, I have to put in a little plug here, there's the hub trip planning forum where there's thread after thread after thread of insurance issues, shipping your bike issues, where can I get it registered, where can I insure it. How do I do this? How do I do that? In all over the all over the world, and we have a shipping database as well that's got at last count something like 900 shipments that people have done from point A to point B anywhere in the world, telling you who they used, what they used, what the tricks were, what are the issues they had, do they recommend the shipper, etc. So there's a ton of information there if you're thinking about moving your bike or renting or buying or borrowing whatever. All of that is all there on the Hub Trip Planning Forum. This really was a top question from Peter, wasn't it? Because yeah, how many people, right. um, listeners, are going to be thinking, I wonder what and I wonder how and I wonder what if and so on. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. they've we got a lot of information now and um, they know where to go to look too. Yeah, just be, just before we move on, Peter, um, mate, I've just uh, ridden around Australia and that, that's also a written up in an Australian road rider over the next couple of issues. So if you want to grab that, mate, um, uh, and make contact and we'll have a chat. No problem. Okay, well, let's just uh, wait just a second here. Before we get into the next thing, I want to talk 
about Fresh Tracks because Fresh Tracks is our sponsor for this episode. It's freshtracks.co.uk. They have a new thing that is just for us motorcyclists, actually. They, they call it Adventure Space. It's a one-acre plot on their property that's set up for you to camp on, to ride on. It's also very close to a network of green lanes, which are you know dirt roads that you can go ride on that are uh, sort of um, not main riding roads, more challenging. And now they are under an hour from central London. Uh, on the Hertz-Essex border. And you can go alone or you can take a small group of friends. You can test your gear, practice your riding skills. You can camp there, leaving no trace. And um, you, there's also a, um, a cabin that you can rent as well. It's a great place to go if you're looking for an outing. You're close to London and you're looking to get out there and ride. So drop by and check them out. Freshtracks.co.uk forward slash adventure space. Now, I think you're going to have to go directly to that page to get it. Freshtracks.co.uk forward slash adventure space. That link is also in the show notes. Well, we'll move on to our our next uh, little uh, thing that we're going to do here. We're going to get a little personal, quite personal, really. The idea is to expose your weakness, travel weakness we're talking here. Now, to begin with, before we put everybody on the spot, anybody feel like this is too much for them, too personal, too intrusive? Anybody wanna, anyone want to bail? No. Jeez, I didn't realize it was going to be personal. <laughs> Yeah, who says we're going to tell the truth anyway? So, well, it doesn't matter. You don't have to tell the truth. It's just—it's all about I just entertainment. Accept, I just accept that I'm an idiot anyway, so anything's going to happen. Here we go. Then. If right. there's if there's one thing you feel you need to improve on for your motorcycle travel, what would that thing be? So maybe something you, you think you need to work on uh, that would improve your experience as a motorcycle traveler. Maybe it's a learning a language, washing more often, um, but, <laughs> but, and also have a story that maybe illustrates a point or maybe a story that, that even made you aware of this shortcoming that you had or that you have. Who wants to go first on this? Um, what would make me a better motorcycle traveler? Hmm. Learn to relax more. No, I do have to ponder this um, because I don't think I'm that bad, really. But probably um, relax more. I can I can get fairly stressed about stuff which really isn't worth getting stressed about. Just ask my travelling companion. (laughs) Well, I've I've mentioned this before. You know, when we first started travelling, surely it it has to have things organised. You know, where are we going to stay tomorrow? Where are we going? How far are we going? What are we going to do? And I think changing of it, her attitude really did make a difference yeah, when we started traveling it did but the start of every trip's the same yeah it takes me a while yeah. to get into the swing of it and learn to to relax more what do you mean because you want things to to go on your time schedule sort of thing yeah pretty much and i worry about you know if we get to five o'clock and we haven't got a room what's going to happen um yeah, it's just it's just me. I mean, I'm a fairly stressed, stressed, anxious kind of person <laughs> at the best of times. So, um, and once I get into the swing of being on the road and and it not being important to worry about where you're going to be at five o'clock in the afternoon, then I'm better. But at the start, it's always a, a tricky thing. Is there a story that pops into your mind that, that sort of made this uh, this uh, thing that you needed to change sort of obvious to you? Or was it just Brian well, the, saying when you got uh, to the hotel? Relax. No, probably the first trip we did when we shipped the bike to England. I mean, we'd done a lot of riding around Australia, but a week here, two weeks there, and we had in front of us twelve months uh, to get home. And after about um, I don't know two or three weeks, I just burst into tears one day and said, "I can't do this. I just 
you know, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through all these countries? How are we going to get through all these borders? How are we going to get home? And Brian just said, well, let's just take it one day at a time. Don't even think about the fact that it's a 12-month trip. Let's just think about what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. And and once I broke it down like that, I was fine. Mm. But it's just a, it's a completely different mindset, and I think all of us have discussed that at different times, that when you're at home and you're commuting and working and spending weekends doing cool stuff, your mindset is is one way. But when you're on an open-ended trip or a long trip or even, you know, a month's vacation, you need a different mindset than your going-to-work-every-day mindset. That's kind Does of that life make too. Sense? It's kind of life, isn't well, it? it? I is. mean, yeah, you, you, know, you can is. get a project, any any sort of project that seems huge and, and get overwhelmed. And that's the idea. Break it down, chunk it, I've heard it said before. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and and I guess because I don't actually have to take any consideration of the mechanical side of of the trip, that's that's the sort of thing I could uh, become better at, being more relaxed. Anyone who's done any project management, it's, it's exactly the same process. You break it down, you know, you you know what the end end result is you want to achieve, and then you work back and and set your time frames or whatever, be it motorcycle servicing where you can get parts, that sort of stuff. For me, look, when I first started, I'm a bit like Shirley. I'm impatient, you know, and some some stop it, Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, laugh out loud. <laughs> I could just see the grin flash across Shirley's face. Oh, then. God. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. But, uh, is oh. it because Brian put a bit in front of impatient? <laughs> oh, yes. The understatement was just perfect. <laughs> just a little oh, bit sure. impatient. So, so, Brian, have you got some English ancestry in you somewhere? Because that was the perfect British understatement. Uh, yes, exactly. He does. He does <laughs> I indeed. Do indeed. But uh, I, I think um, as you start travelling, that impatience flows away from you, you know, uh, aggressiveness in traffic and stuff like that. You know, I, I need to get that out really quickly and settle into the, the rhythm of the road, is what I call it, and just uh, take it a bit easier. And um, I, as I said, I've just finished doing this ride along the Murray River and I did that with a mate for the first section and he was the same as me. He said, I'm usually running, uh, I'm, I'm travelling hard and going big distances when I don't have to. And we potted around and we explored and we went down to river crossings and and did things like that. And we were sitting down having a quiet beer uh, after our first night on the road. And he said, Rixie, this is the best way to go. Right? And it was, and we're right. It's, it becomes attitude. So I think more patience. And uh, I think I've learnt that over time with my travel and I'm better at it. But every now and then you fall back into that old habit of being impatient. So I don't know whether it's age or um, uh, more more trips um, that we've done that have caused me to change my attitude a little. So that would be my advice and that's probably my big thing at this stage. How about you, Sam? Can I, can I do two, one for Birgit and one for me, because I asked yeah. her what she thought. Um, her answer was, oh, she'd really like to have better off-road skills. Um, mm. when, when we set off um, to travel down through Africa, you know, she'd only just learned to ride a bike and she learned to ride off road a little bit from watching me and the rest of it from just trying. Um, and it either worked or it didn't. And she learned that way. But uh, when she got back to the UK, she did a BMW off road um, training school and she said, wow, 
I wish I had had all of this knowledge before we did the trip. And she did that with Elspeth Beard. And the two of them set off for this. And I tell you what, the two of them came back with big grins and their tails wagging. Um, They had such a ball on it. And both of them were exactly the same. We should have done this before we went traveling. Um, So that was Birgit's. And mine was, you know, we've talked in the past about the importance of learning um, phrases and foreign languages and so on as you're coming to each country. And But it, when I was looking at this, I was thinking, yeah, but, you know, what about um, where you've got a whole continent that speaks more or less the same language? And, of course, South America popped into my mind. How stupid was I that I didn't really learn Spanish well before getting to South America? Um, it took me months to get to the stage where I knew enough to have conversations. And every single one of those months where I was learning was um, a month lost of, of opportunity. It was a month lost of relationship building with um, locals. It was um, a month lost of um, not taking um, an oddball route because I didn't understand what there was to see down it because I couldn't ask the question and so on. So I, I next big trip, if it's somewhere like South America, um, for sure, I'm going to make sure that I learn um, Spanish and I'm going to learn it well. Grant, how about you? Um, well, they've taken some of the things that I was thinking were running around in my head already. But um, uh, the biggest thing that we thought was most important to us, while, while what the other guys are talking about is important, for us being in the moment, literally taking the time to appreciate where you are, what you're doing, and what your experience is, and letting that internalize. It, it's too easy to just zip along, oh, cool, yeah, that's cool, look at that, oh, that's great, and, and just not take a moment, a pause, to say, wow, you know, this is really something. We're doing something amazing, we're seeing amazing things, this is an amazing moment, the scenery's fantastic. Let that sink in. Uh, as a photographer, I was, finding that what was happening was I'd arrive, set up the camera, zip, 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 picture, 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 great, done. Okay, we're ready to go. Wait a minute. Did I take a moment to pause and really feel it? Mm-hmm. Um, where I really, that really stuck out for me, was really interesting, was at uh, Uluru. First time I was there, it was absolutely amazing, beautiful, spectacular, got a bunch of pictures. And then one morning I thought, okay, I'm going to get up really early. I know exactly where I want to be for the sunrise. It's fantastic. I had it all figured out. I got there and it was still dark. I mean, you could barely see the sun was just, I mean, there was some light, you know, first dawn and I'm set up, I'm organized and I didn't have enough light to take any pictures. So I just appreciated the moment and felt the sun coming up and starting to get some more light and seeing the light acting on the grass around me. And it was spectacular. And then the bus hordes arrived. And everybody get, jumps off the bus, like literally 10 buses arrive in my spot, <laughs> right where I am. And the bus drive, people come out and they're all over the place. They're walking right in front of my camera and taking pictures and getting me really annoyed. And, and they're all over the place. And like in 15 minutes, and then they were gone. And it was quiet and relaxed. And I appreciated, oh my God, they're gone. How wonderful. And then the light got really good and I got some wonderful pictures. And I think that's just a really important message that mm-hmm. people need to take that moment. 
Well, that's really good. Yeah, that's uh, those are all all good tips and can be applied to anybody. I was sort of, I was thinking to be more things that would uh, would be personal that wouldn't be able to be uh, wouldn't wouldn't apply to everyone, I guess. But I'm surprised that um, all of these things can be applied to other travelers. So we've we've got a question that was sent in by Paul Moore. Paul said, and I quote, I keep all of my important things in my tank bag while riding. When I'm off the bike, I take my tank bag off as it has straps to wear it as a backpack. My question is, how do you secure it when you're walking around to keep it from getting taken from you if you carry it or while, say, sitting in the cafe, unquote? So um, Paul's question got us to thinking, well, maybe you guys have some rules for yourselves that you could share on ways that you handle it. But before we get into that, I thought maybe we should first talk about what you would do before you leave. Now, I'm thinking of um, those preparatory things you do before you leave on the trip so you don't find yourself with three bags with all of your gear, that that sort of thing. You know what I mean? So do you guys do, sort of, and even making copies of documents, all, all that sort of stuff, do you guys have things that you do before you go to try and prevent that theft or putting yourself, prevent yourself from getting into that position to begin with is what I'm trying to say. Um, we, we always photocopy documents and, and send emails to ourselves with the with the copies um, and put them up on the now that we have such a thing onto the cloud. Um, that's a, a really important thing. Um, what um, I like is Paul carries his um, his tank bag with him. That is the equivalent to me carrying a handbag, which my husband refers to as a thief attractor. Yeah, that's true. But you do have to carry, you know, you can't leave your camera and your passport and things like that on the bike. And I think a um, a, a tank bag that doubles as a backpack is probably a damn good idea. Although, you know, I've heard stories of uh, people with tank bags, um, you know, those magnetic style tank bags. People in Asia have actually had them stolen as people walk past and just grab them and run when you're stuck mm-hmm. at traffic lights. Um, you've got to be really careful with that sort of stuff. I, I, I don't keep um, much in the tank bag that really is of value steel-wise uh, for that very reason. I think it really is to get into. Um, that's where hard panniers are pretty good um, when you lock everything in. I carry passports, money and camera, camera on my hip um, and uh, passports and money in my jacket. So my hands are free at all times. And Shirley carries the thief attractor. So I'm w- looking at her all the time with her handbag. But, um, yeah, that's that's just what I do. And as far as locking things on the bike, I try and do that as much as possible. I, I carry um, uh, a helmet. It's pretty easy to pick up and take away. Um, and you just make it difficult. You know, those uh, wire locks you can get. I lock my helmet on the bike. Um, I have little locks on anything that even looks like it can be stolen, combination locks on um, uh, uh, canvas bags. Yeah, sure, someone can come along and slash them and take things, but really in those canvas bags is waterproofs, um, maybe some cooking gear, and that's about it, really. bike cover. Bike cover, stuff that if it gets stolen, so what? And, of course, the bike cover is just fantastic for covering everything on your bike, I even leave my GPS locked on the bike with a, a Touareg Tech lock now. I used to take it on and off all the time, but the uh, mechanisms were starting to wear out because it was coming on and off so much. Um, so unless I'm in a really dodgy area, I even do that now. 
Um, One thing Paul mentions is what to do with your bag while you're sitting in a cafe, for instance. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a problem that I think about all the time, even here in Australia, because you never know who, which ne'er-do-well is going to slip past the back of your chair in a cafe. On the floor, between your feet. Or, or, or strap or around your leg. Just, yeah, as long as you remember the straps around your leg when you get up so you don't fall <laughs> over and make a complete pass <laughs> yourself in the cafe. <laughs> Not that I've ever yeah, done. In fact, I've seen, and, and he talks about going hiking. We were oh somewhere in in Europe, and there was a bike there with a, a guy had left his boots at the base of his bike, and obviously put on hiking boots to go hiking, which is fair enough. And what he'd done is he drilled a small hole through the heel of the bike, and put one of those um, um, wire chains through it and hooked it around his bike. So his bike boots were actually locked onto his bike. Drill the sure. hole through the heels of his boots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, sideways through the hole of the and, yeah, and, and, and threaded through the the wire through both boots and uh, hooked it onto the bike. Not a bad idea. No, that's very cool. I've never seen that happen before. What a neat idea. And if you're going to go somewhere, and this is something that we tend to do if you've got the time, of course, if you're going to go somewhere where you know you're going to do a lot of hiking or a lot of walking through the town and there's a you know a squillion things to see. We stay two nights at our accommodation and leave our valuables locked up in the accommodation. So all you've got to carry is what you need on the day rather than having to think, well, I've got a helmet that's, you know, going to I'm going to be stuck if I lose that. I don't want to leave my jacket on the bike, yet it's hot. Um, that's, that's another way around it. So you can leave your luggage and you can lock stuff into where your luggage would normally be on your panniers. Yeah, but we had we had strapped on our helmets and, and no, jackets onto the bike too. And I think if you've got that versatility, then you just be aware of your surroundings as best you can. And remember the story of Ken and Carol at Iguazu Falls. They oh, yeah. strapped their helmets onto the bike and put the bike cover over it in the car park of Iguazu Falls, went sightseeing, came back, took the cover off the bike, and someone had cut the chain and taken both their helmets. Mm. Ow. Ouch. That hurts. Yep. And the other one with helmets too, people will use the chin strap uh, D-ring to lock to a lock on the handlebar or whatever. People, thieves will actually cut the chin straps. So yeah, if you don't yeah. put the lock, the cable lock through the chin, through the uh, chin guard on the full face helmet, forget it. They'll just cut the strap and that's really easy to steal. Yeah. Well, like, what, what good is it at that point? Do they just, do you know what they're doing with it? They're putting it on their heads and they don't do up the strap anyway. Oh, I see. Yeah. Or they're just stitching on a, a replacement, which is yeah. very easy to do. Very easy. And one of the things, I mean, Birgit and I always um, try and carry um, slash-proof bags. Now, I, I like the idea of what Paul was talking about with um, using his tank bag. We do carry stuff in our tank bags that um, need to be walked away with. So that there are literally our walk away in an emergency bag. So when we're doing border crossings or getting off to go and pay for gas or whatever else it is, the tank bag, um, whatever type of bag it is, that goes with us because it's got um, the more valuable things like the camera, like the carnet, those sorts of things that we don't want to leave um, loose on the bike. Um, Slash proof. Um, one of my bags was a shoulder bag and um, I used it as a tank bag with just ordinary straps. But it was um, made out of um, Ethiopian army surplus heavy duty canvas. And I tried slashing this with um, a Stanley knife and it just tore a few threads on the outside, but didn't even remotely look as if it was going to go through it. And I put a lot of pressure on it. Another one that I've carried um, is uh, a leather shoulder bag, which funnily enough, 
was made using the worn out canvas um, Ethiopian bag. And when that got too thin and, and it was slashable, then we just cut it open and use that as a template and um, have a leather bag made, made up. Can I just ask a question, Sam? Mm. Where the hell do you get Ethiopian army issue, heavy duty canvas sure. other than in Ethiopia, Brian? In I mean, Ethiopia. is it something I could get in Castlemaine? No, I don't think so, but you probably get oh. an Australian version of it. No, this literally was bought in uh, the market in Addis Ababa. And there was a guy there who was selling a T-52 tank and various other um, military hardware. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll pass on the tank, but I'll take your um, (laughs) army issue heavy-duty canvas. Thank you. Absolutely. That worked very nicely. It was a real character too. It was very funny to deal with. He did keep trying to sell us this bloody tank. But anyway, um, so I mean, that's that's what we we do. But the trick with this is um, the shoulder strap, um, that was padded with foam, so you could walk around very comfortably with that, um, you know, with a fair amount of weight in it, a water bottle, your camera, and various other things. But what we did was we threaded um, a piano wire inside the shoulder strap so that anybody sneaking up behind us couldn't slash the strap and grab the bag and run. And I also do that with my um, tank bag when I'm using that as a rucksack, because that way, Nobody can just slash it and and run. And what Brian said about magnetic tank bags, I've heard of people losing those in um, traffic in Southeast Asia. And yeah, no way would I use just a metallic, uh, a magnetic um, tank bag. It have to have straps as well. Um, as far as sitting down um, in a cafe with a backpack or a handbag or whatever, I put um, an extra loop of webbing with um, um, a, a rucksack clip on it. And so wherever I'm sitting, I will just put that through the shoulder strap onto the chair. And that means that anybody walking away can't just snatch it and run. They'll have to take me and the chair with it. It's just such a simple little thing to do. And you know when sometimes you stay in a hotel or a motel, and even the cheaper ones, and they'll have um, coat hangers, which have just got a spike that sticks up with a little rounded bit on the top but no hook, then that extra bit of webbing loop um, you can put that through the coat hanger and hang your clothes up to dry using the rail from the shower and that sort of thing. So it's um, it's one of those wonderful um, two-purpose things. And I stopped using um, a waist pouch um, for carrying, you know, as a money belt because that bulge on your stomach and the bulge um, in your back um, on your T-shirt, well, it's so blooming obvious. But now if I'm going to carry um, money on me besides in my pouch and actually sewn into my belt – um, then I'll carry um, a pouch that goes sideways and sits underneath my armpit. Um, do get yourself a waterproof one, then otherwise your money can hum a I'm bit. I'm just going to say nobody wants ah. that. It's a good hiding spot. Nobody wants that at all. <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that's what we do. I thought that was a really good question from Paul because, you know, what do you do when you're walking around? Um, carrying your bag in front of you, that makes a huge amount of sense when you're in a busy environment. But it is that, that stupid moment when you're just not thinking, you're sitting in a cafe and you put it down or, um, you, you, yeah. Anyway, enough said. Yeah, good question, Paul. How yeah. about how about setting Great. things down? I mean, I mean, I've found this important even with the doing wilderness trips. It's not likely to get stolen necessarily in a wilderness trip, but but forgetting it is a real problem. So I always do a, a last sweep. Do you guys have some sort of habit where you you glance back to the place you just were every time? Because these things have to be habits. Same as your clipping. Oh, yes. Always, You've and it's never do... a glance. It's a stop, and it's a really good look right. every time. Yeah. Yep, final checks. Check. Yep, Final we both checks. Do a last check. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, apart from Shirley, when she lost all her smalls. there is one time that is very difficult to final check, and that's when your dirty clothes bag is white and it is on the sheet in the hotel bedroom, which is also white, which is why there is a lady in Sofia wearing a Horizons Unlimited T-shirt, an Aussie's Overland T-shirt, and has some very nice undies from Australia, which I left in the hotel room. Yeah, we had a couple of days at Commando. Oh, no, no. <laughs> How about, um, what about things like laptops and things like that when you're out exploring for the day and you're taking this bag, for instance, with you? Are you leaving your, your valuables back at the hotel? I don't take the laptop yeah. with me. Um, if, if we're going to yeah. go out and do something like that um, and we're walking around, then my panniers come off the bike and I lock them to the bed in the hotel room and they act as my mini safe. That's one of the reasons that I like aluminium panniers to travel with. Right. Yeah. 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 We lock stuff in the panniers too. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think they're safer in the hotel room, although stuff has been stolen out of hotel rooms, than walking around with it all day long, every day. It it's not only gets to be aggravating carrying excess stuff, but it's it is at risk. More at risk, I think, than in the room. So what is it you carry on you? Little as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And uh, I go along with Sam on the uh, under the armpit or around the neck one. There's various things for carrying your passport and your money. Um, you're, you've always got a mugger's wallet, of course, for today's money. Uh, keep it simple. The less stuff you have, the more, the less people look at you as, oh, walking money. Hmm. When I carry I a camera, it's, it's, I, I make sure that it's actually attached in my hand. Yep. So. I always wrap the camera strap around my wrist because that way people can't just easily snatch it. And also, I'm less inclined to drop it um, in a moment of a misattention or whatever. Yeah, that's something I actually teach people is to use a a short, thin camera strap, wrap it around your wrist and hold it in your hand. And it's always attached to your hand. If somebody tries to take the camera, they're going to have a hard time getting it because it's wrapped around your wrist a couple of times. And you are oh, and a darn sight quicker taking photographs when, it, when you're much. carrying it that way because it's in your hand straight away. None of the dicking around with a, uh, a strap around your neck or whatever. It's lift your hand, focus, bang, done. Yeah. And, and some, and some of what people are sore. Say it again. Your neck gets sore after a while with a big camera strap too. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's no good. In your hand is much better. Some of the things that's happening nowadays with cell phones being they're so expensive, the smartphones, is that people are holding their their phone up and um, somebody will come along and snatch the phone and they can just swap the, the SIM card out. Um, what do you do with that? Do you, like one, one, I guess, suggestion would be take a cheap phone. Well, mostly it's being aware of what's around you. And if there are people around you, mm. close to you, and you've got your ha- phone in your hand, Keep it close to you. Don't just stick it out there and make it a, an easy, ooh, I can run by and grab it target. I just saw a uh, funny video. I think it was out of Vietnam. Um, girl in a scooter, purse around her shoulder. and or Sorry, a girl walking down the street with a purse around her shoulder and a guy in a scooter rides up, parks the bike, grabs the strap. She fights him, throws the purse away. And she jumps on the scooter and drives away and leaves the purse behind. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like one of those setup videos. Oh, <laughs> but it probably but it's is. good. Oh, that's but funny. The point is, there's nothing of value in the purse, is there? Mm-hmm. Right. So cool. I love and it. And I guess with cell phones, with cell phones, Jim, now they really aren't that expensive. And you know, you most... the price of a new iPhone. Yeah, it depends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah, say. But you, all right, if you buy a new iPhone, but would you take a new iPhone on a trip? You'd take your older one that's got a decent camera in it if you want to do a selfie and, you know, to keep um, some information on. I don't, I don't have know. A new you got an iPhone. 
So <laughs> don't no, have to worry about it. Yeah. I think I think the, the key is um, you always have a water phone, a waterproof cell phone, and you use super glue. I mean, we're attached to things anyway, so why not just be permanently attached? Then nobody's going to steal it. Oh, I see. Like, like glue it to your hand. No, that's really good, yeah, Sam. Absolutely. That's a good tip. I haven't thought of that. What do you do when you're riding? I guess left. Oh, no? that's not a problem at all. Yeah, just Can I just it. say this glue, this gluing thing must be an English thing because there was a story on the news last night that the um, the climate change activists glued in London the glued themselves to the road. <laughs> well, ouch! When the police pick you up to take you to the cells, well, especially if they're hairy. My goodness! Oh, I'm cre- I'm weeping with the thought. <laughs> Ooh, there you go. Good tip, uh, Grant. That's an English thing. Aware of the surroundings. Um, anything else with this? Um, how, how about getting too paranoid about um, what do you do when you actually? And there's another question: too paranoid, or what do you do when something does get stolen? Well, one, I think people get too paranoid. We've done three really big trips, and we've never had anything stolen. Um, you just got to be a bit smart about it. You know, you wouldn't leave your your bag on the seat in a cafe in your hometown, probably, and mm-hmm. go and walk to the counter and come back and go, oh, I wonder where my bag's gone. Or well, you don't do it overseas either. Yeah. I think people I think can be that, just be careful. Yeah, just and be I careful. see people in cafes all the time. They just set their cell phone on the table in front of them, and then they turn away and talk to their friend. Well, it's really easy to just walk up and grab it and keep on walking. Nobody'd yeah. even notice. You, know, you you just have to be aware that there is a risk. There are people out there who will try and steal stuff from you. Be aware of your surroundings. Pay attention. And don't do stupid stuff. Yeah. Like uh, Brian and Shirley, we've we've had one attempted theft, uh, two attempted thefts. Um, one was on a bus. Somebody tried to slash a pack, and uh, I noticed it immediately and turned around. And, I'm not sure which of three guys it was, but it was one of them, and we just looked at him. And another time I was sitting in a taxi with my wallet in my shirt pocket, button shirt pocket, which was stupid. But anyway, I did. And somebody just reached an arm in from the, from the side of the road and tried to grab it and rock away with it. Well, he got a very sore arm out of that. Wow. Uh, but that's the worst. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Yeah. In the UK, parked in a parking lot in Birmingham, we parked the bike and somebody came along and there was nothing to steal. The saddlebags were locked and all they did was open up the uh, snap pockets on the fairing and our shop rag and the, the lubricant and uh, the face shield cleaner, all that was dumped on the ground. That was it. They didn't even take any of it. You ruined no. their day. They were so angry there was nothing worth taking. Yeah. yeah. Grant, they just didn't know who you were. Otherwise, they would have taken those and said, I have Grant Johnson souvenirs. <laughs> 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 and they're for sale for a penny each. <laughs> uh, there's, there's also a story of a guy who um, was repairing his bike. I think it was in India or Pakistan. It was, yeah. And uh, he was down on one side of his bike and while he was there, someone opened his pannier on the other side of the bike and took his sleeping bag and tips. Oh, wow. So, so you know. That's about even being aware. when you're riding it, yeah. your bike, you know, keep, keep if you've got hard panniers, lock them. Yeah. Or soft get... panniers. Soft panniers are the trick, unless they're made from Sam's Ethiopian heavy-duty <laughs> um, uh, yep. canvas. Yep, they, yeah, but they, they do the trick. If those little combination locks on zips, it just stops little fingers. Yep. Yeah. It makes it harder. You make it harder. Harder. Oh, the they'll, they'll go to someone else's bike. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of people talk about how dangerous staying in hostels are and because the staff knock stuff off. 
Rubbish. I'm afraid the majority of stories we've heard about people having stuff knocked off in accommodation, it's been other travellers who've taken it, not the staff. I can tell you a story from Greg Frazier that kind of goes along with that. He was camped someplace in Morocco and uh, somebody was messing around, he thought, with his bike. So overnight he decided he was going to put it in his saddlebag. Everything else came out of the saddlebag into his tent. In his saddlebag he put a rat trap. Heard a loud snap in the middle of the night. (laughs) And next morning, guess who had bandages on his hand? The manager of of the place. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Caught him red-handed. Very red or squashed-handed, whatever. (laughs) So maybe you should be all be carrying a rat trap, one for each saddlebag. (laughs) Can I talk about something that's not related to theft, but it's something that happened to travellers? And I don't know if it made the news overseas. Two Australians been travelling around the world and they've been blogging and they decided to fly a drone in Iran Yes. Oh. an army installation. No it was a bad idea. They were arrested and they Who's spent there? they spent a month in custody in uh, in Iran. And Australia's just done what appears to have been a, a prisoner swap, and uh, they've been released. And an Iranian who was being held here um, has also been released and gone home. But those people, um, it's just. Yeah, where were their brains? Why would yeah. you fly a drone near uh, near any kind of official building that you don't know what it is in a country like Iran? Yeah. Wow. And there's lots of countries where it's illegal to fly a drone, period, mm-hmm. which yeah. includes Iran. You're not allowed to fly a drone and, at all. But also in Australia, Grant, um, you can time. only fly a drone within certain distances away from airports and buildings yeah. and, you know, there's so many. And they're toughening up they're those here. procedures. They yeah. are, yeah. yeah. So um, that's, you know, you be aware of your surroundings but also think about what you're doing while you're travelling. Yeah, yeah. And the number of people that have uh, died because taking a selfie. Oh, oh that yeah, apparently yeah, is the yeah. big thing. Let's walk backwards yeah. off this cliff to get a good selfie. Oh, ouch, that last step's yeah. a doozy. Yeah. But what a shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just so long as they keep shooting on the way down, it'd That's be right. awesome. <laughs> Good on you, Tim. <laughs> oh, dear. Crash it to a fault. That's your trouble. <laughs> Grant, what have you got for plugs? Well, what we've got is only three HU events for left in this year. Um, that seems like it wasn't that long ago we were announcing 25 events. Yeah. But this year we have left Germany, October 31st, South Africa. November 7, and Ecuador, November 22. Those are the three events left in 2019. And we've already got a stack of 2020 events lined up. Um, Let's see, what have we got? Oh, yeah, the Hum Cascades. That's a new name to everybody. For those who are riding the Hum Monashies, the Hum Monashies is no more. It's now the Hum Cascades. We've changed locations, changed mountain ranges, moved to an all-new place. And I've been out riding with a friend of mine, Tagging the tags and points and enjoying the mountain scenery and getting some more off-road riding in more than I've had in years. And that's been absolutely wonderful to get out and just do some proper off-roading. This is you, this was your secret last episode where you didn't want to tell us. You were keeping, you were very tight-lipped about it. Now we're announcing it. Wow. We've got it locked in. So what's the deal? Why, why the name change? Because it's a different mountain range, Jim. Yeah, but why not just keep it the same name? I mean, you know, that happens a lot, right? I mean, look at the Dakar. 
<laughs> well, they can do that and get away with it, but we figure it should be the mountain range that it's in. <laughs> okay. So does, does this run the same as the other event? Same event, same type of event, July 17 to 19 in the Cascade Mountains, and the exact location is Princeton, British Columbia. Mm. Mm, you've, yes. You've, you've been it's closer scope. to that. The cool thing about Princeton that really was one of the things that uh, made us excited about it was it's only three hours from Vancouver, four hours from Seattle, and in, instead of six and a half from Vancouver. And it's only an hour more for those in Calgary because of the, the way the roads work in BC. It's not that much farther for them. That's a lot shorter for the Westerners. Mm. So it works out really well. And the, the riding in the area is unbelievable. There is so many trails going so many places. And there's lots of history. There's old mines. There's ghost towns. There's old cemeteries. There's all kinds of really cool stuff. So it's great fun. It's going to be an excellent ride. And um I was out on a DR650 that a friend of mine has super tricked out. And the, the level five difficult, most difficult stuff is amazing. There's lots of it. There's lots of stuff for the uh, casual riders, those who aren't all that good. The main thing with the hum that everybody has a hard time getting around, uh, their mind around, is that any level of rider can ride it and have fun. Even if you've just started off-road riding, even if you're the top-level expert off-roader, that it's all flexible and you choose your route that works for you so that's the fun part about the hum so yeah, i'm very excited about that that's that's really cool and happening plus we've got the hum arizona is happening in april and we've got a whole bunch of other events go to horizonsunlimited.com slash events and check out what's on there lots of good stuff coming up okay well brian what do you have for a plug well um of my first plug is going to be um, Richard Hogg and Lorna, actually, because, uh, as I said, I don't normally do anything with GoFundMe. I, I'm not a great believer in it at all. But um, apparently Richard and Lorna have had this terrible accident on Stelvio Pass. They do have travel insurance, but apparently um, they're really um, bucking, um, paying for the exorbitant costs and all the rest of it. And so far on the GoFundMe, in, in just a very short time, they got over 32000 Australian dollars for them. Um, as I said, Lorna's lost a leg. Um, Richard has torn an aorta and is uh, obviously in a, a lot of trouble at this stage, but his family are trying to get things organised and get them back. So, and Shirley, if you've got can the I details. Just, can I just add there with it, the GoFundMe is Lorna and Richard's fight for life, if anyone is interested. And people um, have been putting on Facebook, or why didn't they have travel insurance? They did have travel insurance, um, but it uh, is proving problematic for them to get the assistance that they need with the travel insurance they have, which is um, probably a salutary warning when you're going on any kind of trip to make sure that your um, insurance covers you for every uh, every possible um, event there was a story on the news here recently, an Australian guy who was paragliding in a competition in Pakistan and had a very bad accident and his travel insurance covered for him to be evacuated to Islamabad, not home. Mm. Yeah, so they had to try and raise funds to get him home. He's now quadriplegic and the last place he wanted to be was in a hospital in Islamabad. So, um, yeah, so Lorna and Richard's Fight for Life on GoFundMe if you're interested in helping. And do you have a, a web uh, or a link for that, rather, you can give us and we can put in the show notes? 
Uh, yeah, I can. I can send you the the link. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And now, do you have a separate plug? Look, I do. Um, I was going to plug because this is now getting to that time of year where some people will be thinking about Christmas gifts. <laughs> our books, um, we still have the option of a very good price to get our three books sent from Australia to you um, with a personal message of some kind, if you so desire, uh, to the UK, Canada and the US at an exceptionally good price when you consider that you just about have to take out a second mortgage on your home to post anything from Australia. <laughs> what are the names of the three books? Uh, Two for the Road is our first trip from London home to Australia. Circle to Circle, which is the America's uh, bit of Western Europe and Southern Africa. And The Long Way to Vladivostok, which is across uh, Russia and Central Asia. And uh, the website is aussiesoverland.com.au. And there's a little link for books, buy books outside of Australia, and you can um, make the transfer in your currency and we'll get the books to you in about five working days. Remembering that we are in the hands of Australia Post, but that's the promise they make. Mm. Sam, what have you got for plugs? Okay, well, I tell you, when we started the show, um, we started talking about Adventure Rider Radio and um, raw listeners. And I have to say, you know, this tour across the USA is sadly coming to an end. But my plug um, has to be for all the Adventure Rider Radio and Raw listeners who've made it to one of my presentations and book signings. Um, this show's fun to be on anyway. Um, but then when you're actually out on the road and you're meeting um, the listeners and you're making new friends, um, it, it's, it, it is literally just wonderful. Um, and it's fantastic to meet everybody and the superb um, feedback from everyone on what we're doing and how we're doing it. It's just wonderful to hear. And most of the guys love the fact that they just feel like they're sitting down with us for a natter. Um, and so the whole concept of the show and how it's working, um, the wide range of topics and the infinite information and the banter. Um, and Jim, I'm going to make you blush now because there's um, always high praise for you and the way you keep us all heading in the right direction. And um, yeah, so um, I'd just like to make my um, plug um, for everybody who listens to the show who I've had the opportunity to meet um, over the past five weeks. It's been absolutely fantastic. And you guys have helped make my trip a special place to be. So thank you. Wow. That's, that's great. Yeah. Thank you. That's a uh... That's really neat to get that feedback because, as you know, I, I don't go around and, and stop at places and don't get out a lot for those sorts of things. So it's always nice to hear that. That's um, that's really cool. Sam, you um, you you have another plug? Yes, I do. Um, I would be really grateful for the opportunity to, to make a plug for my books. As I've been traveling across the United States, I've been getting some terrific feedback on, on the books and both the audio books and the paperback books. But uh, I, I want to do something special uh, this Christmas. So... Um, what I'm going to do is every time somebody orders a set of four books, I am going to send them out um, all signed and um, Christmas wrapped. So that's wrapping paper and ribbon. And um, if people uh. want them to be, um, sorry, what did I just say? Yeah, Christmas uh. wrapped and ribbon. And um, if somebody wants them to be dedicated in, for somebody because they're a Christmas present to somebody else, um, then they just need to um, click the link and send me a message and that will be done. It'll so be you, a pleasure you're, to do so. you're Christmas wrapping I, and dedicating. Surely, Brian, they're only, they're only packaging them up and sending them out. Not now. No, not no, no, now. No. <laughs> Sam has set down the challenge. If anyone orders our books, I will Christmas wrap them. 
Excellent. I will Christmas wrap them with Christmas paper with koalas with Santa hats on. I want to see a photograph of this wrapping paper. <laughs> no, you can order a book. Santa's. No, no, hang on a minute. I just ordered the book. It arrived two days before I, I left on this trip, so it's one of the things that's sitting waiting for me to read as soon as I get home. You didn't get the. You didn't get the wrapping, Santa. Sam, you didn't get the Santa wrapping. No, I'm going to have to send it back to be wrapped. Yeah, yeah, you're going to have to. Do that. <laughs> to get well, the Santa it. wrapping, you have to buy it direct from us at aussiesoverland.com.au. And I'm sure Sam's Christmas wrapping will be lovely and it'll all be English and it'll have snow on it. And ours will be all Australian with koalas and kangaroos, kangaroos and Santa hats and um, I don't know what else. We'll find something. I, I just love this competition. This is great. Now, now I must add that, that at sam-manicom.com, when you go to get your Christmas wrap books from Sam, I think he mentioned something about an inscription in there that you could get. You could just put oh, in absolutely. there. Oh, there's, absolutely. There's a link on the order page. Um, if you've got any queries, just put on, um, click on that link and... Um, You'll get to a comments box and just uh, whatever you'd like dedicated in the book, within reason, of course, because we know that some listeners um, can take the mic off. Um, so within reason, there will be a dedication inside according to whatever you would like. It'd be my pleasure to do so. Do you hear that, Shirley? A dedication. They have a button on <laughs> sam-manicom.com. We, um, we, we dedicate books too. And what I do is um, when someone places the order, I will email them and ask them if they'd like the book inscribed. To anyone in particular, mm. is it a special occasion? Wow! Come That's on, Sam. Cool. That's very cool. <laughs> <laughs> the the only one stage further that I can go is that um, one of Sam's helpers, little helpers, um, name of Birgit, um, she will be helping me to do the wrapping, and we'll make sure that those books go out signed um, by both of us. Well, that's where I think we're just going to have to stop. You, that's nope. it. You're going. I've got. I'm, I'm going to have to add something in. Just. To keep up with these guys, it's making they're making life difficult for me. You're going to Christmas wrap the applications for Hum Cascades. <laughs> I can do that for you, Jim. I expect you to be there. But I also have DVDs. Remember, we have the Achievable Dream: How to Ride Your Motorcycle Anywhere in the World DVDs still available. We have lots of them, and if somebody wants them, ask me and put a note in when you order it, and we will Christmas wrap it and sign it for you. Mm. Also, of course, do you, you can have still get Christmas them on paper you. with bears on it? With bears on it, I think I might be able to get. Well, careful. Maybe a, te maybe a teddy bear. I can probably ah. do a teddy bear and candy canes. <laughs> so I'll get some typically Canadian ones, printed in China, of course. But I'm sure we can find something wonderful. <laughs> I thought you were going to say with a moose on it. I was going to no, say that'd be no perfect. Moose. No moose. Um, but we also have, of course, if you want to do the download method, vimeo.com slash horizons unlimited and all our DVDs are available there as a download. And that's the easy way. You know, a lot of people don't even have a DVD player anymore, but for those yeah. who do and want that thing to put underneath the Christmas tree, it's still nice to have a DVD and the DVDs are not copy protected, region protected or anything like that. They work anywhere, anytime, copy it to your laptop, whatever you want. I've got stories of people copying the uh, tire changing one onto their laptop and fixing their bike, fixing their flat tire in the middle of nowhere from mm. the video right on the laptop. So, how, how do you Christmas wrap a download? Well, you don't. Well, no. that's going to be very special. <laughs> Good point, Brian. I, I have been asked to sign um, somebody's Kindle on occasion. Mm. Really? Mm. I haven't been asked that. I've been asked to sign a gas tank, but not a Kindle. That's interesting. 
No, I carry oh, a special digital. Kindle signing felt pen. Cool. Jim, you were about to say something, but you didn't realize something, and someone got cut off. I was curious what it was. What was I? And I, and I said I didn't realize? You oh. said you didn't realize. I didn't realize something. Oh, yeah. When was that? What were you saying? You were saying something about... Talking about downloads and DVDs and... Whatever. Oh, I know. I was going to say I didn't. I didn't realize that um, that they weren't copyright protected. That you could um, not that I, oh. not that you want to advertise this, but I mean necessarily, but that you can copy it to your laptop. But I was going to say, I I, da- I, I bought mine through Vimeo, the tire mm-hmm. changing one, and I kind of like that because I can go back and download it. So when I've forgotten about it and I can't find where I put it on my computer, I just log in and download. Right. <laughs> okay. That works too. Yeah. So. Or copy it. Or you've got the physical DVD, the actual thing. Well, and the There's wrapping something paper. Something to be said for that. And, and the wrapping paper. The, right. The wrapping paper for sure. <laughs> well, that wraps it up, everyone. Thank you very much. Hey, thank, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Everybody. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get eBooks at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au and of course Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited which is the hub literally for our adventure motorcycling community Horizons Unlimited has tons of up to date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travelers that connect you with other travelers they also put on the hub meets around the world you can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website horizonsunlimited.com special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin my name is Jim Martin thank you for listening join us again next time Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information in here. You can make comments on the show notes. AdventureRiderRadio.com. Adventure